Welcome to Movie Mixtape on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Karen, and I'll be your host for this episode. If you're tuning into the show for the first time, Movie Mixtape is CJRU's film-focused radio program, providing news, reviews, and discussions about recent, classic, and yet-to-be-released movies. We also go behind the scenes to talk with filmmakers about all aspects of what and how they do what they do. So tune in every week at this time to keep up with the latest from the team. On today's show, the Movie Mixtape team will bring you a review of Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever, another segment of A Film That Changed My Life, and a panelist discussing the 2006 film, The Fall. Hello CGRU listeners, my name is Alicia Shake, and if you're wondering how the legacy of Black Panther is continued, keep listening. With Marvel Studios' release of Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever, people were excited to see how Marvel would revive the role of Black Panther, and were not disappointed to see Princess Shuri, King T'Challa's sister and successor, take on the role. Although fans were saddened by Chadwick Boseman's death in 2020, they welcomed the return of the original cast, and were thrilled to see their favorite characters on screen once again. The film picks up right after the death of our initial Black Panther, played by the late Chadwick Boseman. May he rest in peace. Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever mainly follows Shuri, played by the talented Letitia Wright, as she mourns the loss of her loved ones and takes on the new roles of Black Panther and Queen of Wakanda. We also get to see the rise of new superheroes and powerful female representation. The film employs many powerful women, mostly of African descent, who convey power and strength. I believe this will make a great positive impact on younger generations. Many aspects of black culture and heritage were also included in the film, such as cultural clothing, South African architecture, and references to African history. Iconic pop singer Rihanna also produced a song for the sequel called Lift Me Up. The story unfolds beautifully, with many plot twists, deaths, and births of future heirs. All in all, I believe this movie was great, although it definitely didn't come close to the first Black Panther. The first film was truly a masterpiece, with new perspectives on Africa and Afrofuturism. While the sequel is a continuation of that perspective, it couldn't offer anything more or new. Nor did it come close to making the same amount of profit as the original film. The original Black Panther made $1.4 billion, while the sequel earned $700 million, which is about half of the original film's profit. Coming to the cast, I believe Letitia Wright handled her new role very well. Although, she still couldn't reach the bar that Chadwick Boseman set, as his void was felt throughout the film and it didn't feel like the same superhero we once knew and loved. Taking Letitia's role separately without any comparison, she did a great job as Black Panther. I believe Marvel and the actress herself knew no one could ever replace Chadwick. Hence they didn't even try and instead created a new Black Panther with her own path and morals. Although the superheroes share the same name, Chadwick Boseman's and Letitia Wright's Black Panthers are two completely different characters. I believe this film is definitely worth a watch. You may be disappointed if you expect the same Black Panther as before. But we all know he can never return, nor can anyone replace him. Therefore, go into this film with an open mind and welcome a new superhero. Watch Black Panther's legacy live on in others. Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever is still available in theaters and on Disney+. From CGRU 1280 AM in Toronto, I'm Alicia and thank you for listening.
And that was Alicia with her review on Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. It's definitely a sequel that I still have to check out. Here's Quentin introducing our next segment. This is the part of the show called The Film That Changed My Life. It's a segment we do sometimes here on Movie Mixtape, in which a guest tells me, Quentin, about a film that changed their life. Today, our guest shares the subtle queer drama that he's been revisiting ever since his first watch back in high school. Hi, my name is Malachi Ellis, and the film that changed my life is Weekend. So Weekend is about this man named Russell who essentially goes out one night and comes back home with another man. And we follow their relationship as it's explored through a single weekend. Yeah, so picture a very, very young Malachi, very insecure, very just coming out of his um, shell. I was in high school, probably like the very first year of high school, moving into a new school, not knowing any friends, not really understanding my own self. And then I had a friend who recommended that I start watching a couple of like queer movies. And I was like, oh, what? Queer movies? Why would I watch these? And so then one night I snuck up into my bedroom with a laptop and Googled online really great queer movies um, and ended up discovering Weekend. And so I watched it and I was blown away. I felt very embarrassed with a couple of the scenes throughout the movie, trying to close my laptop or like turning off the volume, being like, oh my gosh, can my parents hear me through my headphones in the middle of the night? But yeah, it was a very surreal experience and made me definitely left me sitting there at like midnight on a school night questioning my identity. I'd come into that movie thinking to myself, oh, I am a heterosexual straight man. And then I watched this movie and I was like, I am absolutely not those things. (laughs) It was very much a moment of realizing, like, I relate too much to what these people are going through and what these individuals are saying. There's this really great line in the movie as well, too, about... um, One of the characters is talking about how their friends are kind of pulling them down and not allowing him to become a new person or allowing him to become who he wants to be. The character is an artist and he feels like he isn't able to become a painting because people keep stealing his pencils. (laughs) So I really connected to that line of discovering oneself and trying to become something despite these pressures of other people. And I feel like I've watched this movie several times since then, and each time I always feel a shift within myself, even how I identify or how I might see myself in each of the characters. One of the characters is very blunt and very like unapologetically himself and very queer and will talk very explicitly about like um, sex or sexuality even in casual conversations with strangers, whereas the other one is much more timid and much more to themselves and isn't as vocally about it. And you can feel almost a sense of shame sometimes as well too. When I first watched the film, I thought I really related to the character who was very ashamed and very not open and very not outspoken about um, his belief in his identity. And now watching the film, I realize how much my personality has evolved to becoming like the other character and how in which this person is 
is very unapologetically, very open, very casually just speaking to their own experiences. So it's interesting kind of having both comparisons as well too and seeing the growth within myself and how I've switched back and forth my own ideals of who and which I relate to. A lot of the queer films that I had watched prior to that or even after that were films like Brokeback Mountain, which is a very like tragic story as well too, and has a very like sad and Oscar Beatty vibe to it as well. And then you have like other films which are like comedies or like drag films, and they're very unapologetic in their own right, but they're more on the comedic side and the lightheartedness, and they never really kind of get into the meat and potatoes of these experiences as well, too. And so I found Weekend was almost this perfect blend of both of those films, where it has these comedic elements, but it also has this gritty realism as well to it. And I think that's what really spoke to me, especially, and this new telling of coming of age and coming out as well in its own right. Um, it coming out doesn't have to be you sitting down and telling a person I am gay. It can be just telling your friend, hey, I'm really interested in this person and I'm going through this experience right now. Can we talk about it? I think the film does a really great job, beautiful way of showing what intimacy can look like as well. There's a lot of wonderful moments through their conversations where they're just sitting talking about nothing or sitting in silence. Um, and the way in which they stroke each other's hands or caress the other's cheek is just a beautiful showcase of love. And that I feel like isn't often shown especially within queer cinema sometimes it's kind of just a, a quick cut or a quick peck but this you get really long intimate moments in this film and you really get to like see how in which these characters feel towards each other you almost feel weird because you feel like this fly on the wall watching their relationship happen in real time There are many moments where you're just sitting in silence and watching these characters either go about their day or just sitting in a bathtub or staring at themselves in a mirror. And at first when I watched this film, it was kind of like, I was wondering like, okay, what's going to happen? Like, what is this character thinking or what's going on through this individual's head? Which I really think is the point. It's trying to get you to start to relate to this character even more and really become yourself one with this individual or these individuals and try to understand their own thinking. When I rewatch this film, I start to think to myself, oh, I think they're thinking about this or maybe they're thinking about this experience that they later on talk about in the film. Or you start to think like maybe this is their thought or this is what they might be thinking about. Um, and I've come to realize that maybe none of these things are what they're thinking about, but they're what you're thinking about. And that's what's really important. And that, that why are you thinking about these things or why are you portraying these emotions on this person? Because they're a blank slate in a sense as well, too. And you want to see what something you can relate to. I think it's also really beautiful to watch films and a media that's created by queer people and for queer people as well too, and how in which something so specific can have a universal experience, um, how anyone can kind of watch this film and really see and relate to it, despite it being very specifically ingrained in a, a gay male identity.
biggest thing I want to take away from this film is the emotions that I want other people to feel when they watch my own work and how I want other people to discover themselves in the work that I create as well too is a really big thing. Um, I also watch this film and I look at the budget that they had and how producible it is which is phenomenal given how impactful it is and how beautiful it is as well too and so I think to myself if someone can do that with the amount of money or the amount of resources that they had, then I can do something similar or I can do greater or I can learn from that as well. Um, I've watched the director Andrew um, Andrew Hayes' career for a long time since and watched him move on to like TV shows and other movies. And I'm just like, okay, if that's someone can do something like that, then I should be able to do something like that as well too. That was Malachi Ellis talking about the film that changed his life, Weekend. Weekend was directed by Andrew Haig and released in 2011. Malachi is a talented Black gay film producer based in Toronto. His work has premiered at festivals worldwide, including the Toronto International Film Festival, Aspen Shorts Fest, and Real World Film Festival. Malachi loves producing movies, but he'd quit his job in a heartbeat if he could get paid to sit and watch television. Thank you, Quentin and Malachi. Next up, we have Sean, Abe, and Hanya discussing the 2006 film, The Fall. I am Sean. I'm the program director at CGRU and the coordinator of the Movie Mixtape program. And today I'm here with a few people to discuss a film that we all viewed recently. And um, I will first have each person introduce themselves, starting with, let's go with CGRU alumni. If you can introduce yourself and I'd like to hear what is a beautiful place you've visited just because we'll be discussing some beautiful places in the film. All right. Well, my name is Abe. I use they, they pronouns, and I'm a second-year student at TMU uh, Media Production. And some one of the most beautiful places I've been is actually, it's in Canada, it's Banff. My family and I used to go to Banff and Jasper every summer for vacation, and we stayed at this hotel one time, and just the view from the, the windows was really beautiful. Hello, I'm Hanya. I'm fairly new to the movie mixtape team. But I'm really excited to be here. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm a second-year journalism student. Uh, one of the most beautiful places I visited uh, would be two summers ago. I went to Tobermory with my best friend, and we went there just for a day, and we slept in her car in a motel parking lot. But I just remember the clear water so vividly. Um, and it was just such a beautiful experience. We got to watch the sunset by the rocks and there was like a lighthouse across from us. And yeah, I just have that image imprinted in my brain. Super cool. Uh, for me, I managed to visit Brazil a few years ago and I went to a national park called um, Chapadas de Mantina. And it was uh, a really 
really impressive site of cliff faces and really tall mountainscapes kind of and waterfalls everywhere. We did this long trek through it, like multi-day trek, and it went from rainforest to volcanic rock to um, dry, arid steps from each other. So it was really impressive, really beautiful. Okay, so the reason I had asked everyone to cite that is uh, particularly because we are focused on a film from 2006. Uh, this is called The Fall. Just to give everyone a little synopsis, the, the Fall is a 2006 film. I mean, it was released originally in that year um, and got further distribution in 2008, I believe. This is a fantasy by Tarsim Singh. It was acted by Lee Pace, who has also been in films like The Hobbit, Twilight, Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, recently the series Foundation. It also stars a very young and a very new uh, actress at the time named Katinka Untaru, who was a Romanian child actor and apparently got this part being recommended by her teacher for her vibrancy in classes and stuff. Arsam Singh is also a Indian director known for striking visuals, notably his early work on music videos like the music video for R.E.M.'s famous song, Losing My Religion, as well as the 2000 horror fantasy, The Cell, which starred Jennifer Lopez. In this film, we meet two characters who have recently suffered falls, in fact. One is named Roy, and Roy is a stuntman, and he it was injured in a stunt that seems to have gone wrong, but maybe seemed to have been to impress somebody as well in which he jumped from a bridge onto a horse. However, he the result was that he was paralyzed and is bedridden at a hospital. Meanwhile, Alexandria is a little girl also staying in this hospital who is there with a broken arm after falling from picking oranges in an orchard where her family lives. Roy notices the curiosity of Alexandria and at first, to kill time, he begins to humor her with a story of Alexander the Great. Um, but at this point, the film breaks into three parts, I'd say. One is the reality surrounding these two in the hospital they're located. Two is the epic tale that Roy is imparting to Alexandria. And finally, the amalgamation of the two, which is being portrayed in Alexandria's mind based on the limited individuals she's interacted with on site in the hospital and in her life. The people that she loves are acting as the heroes, the people that she fears as the villains. While this story unfolds, evolving throughout based on the storyteller's modifications and the listener's surroundings, it follows this protagonist seeking revenge for the death of his brother and father at the hands of the governor, Odious. I don't really want to give away too much to listeners who haven't seen this because I think it's a pretty interesting film to view and to discover for yourself, but I would like to hear from both you, Abi and Hania. What were your thoughts on the film in general to begin with? Hania, do you want to start? Sure. I found it was such an interesting watch. I really liked how the film felt intimate, but it also felt like this, you know, fantastical sort of experience at the exact same time. 
the story itself between Roy and Alexandria's characters, the the story that kind of goes on between them and their relationship, it's very intimate and personal and adorable. They have like this beautiful like dad-daughter relationship that they sort of build. But they all, especially Roy, he has a lot of problems that he's dealing with and he kind of tells that to Alexandria through this mystical sort of story. So I really like that sort of juxtaposition that happened in the movie between this grand fantasy and this very intimate, cute relationship. Yeah, um, I'd agree that relationship between the two of them was really fascinating. Um, And for me, it was kind of the central drive of the story as well. Um, The cinematography was very obviously just one of the best I've ever seen. The transitions, some of them were amazing. But I think one of the central themes of the story was the power of storytelling and uh, the connection between these two characters. And I think the, the, one of the reasons the scene at the end is so powerful is because it, in one way, all of us relate to that kind of self-deprecating or negative feelings. And I thought that the way storytelling brought both these characters out of their kind of troubles was, well, very beautiful to watch. Yeah, beyond that, actually, um, I think just as much about storytelling, it's about movies as well and uh, cinema uh, historically. One of the last, last, last scenes before the credits roll, or maybe even as the credits roll, is Alexandria describing seeing Roy as a stuntman in the films and describing his actions. And there's all these archive stunts happening uh, as it fades, I think, to the credit roll. But also right at the beginning, Roy asks if she has seen movies and he calls them flickers and she says, no, she hasn't. So it's cool how they kind of compare a child's ideas to how movies are made as well, how stories are depicted in the films. And a lot of those little subtleties appear in things like the Indian, the word that they use for one character and she worked with a man from India and so she views him as a Indian man when it's clearly meant to depict by the language also used to be a Native American man and um, those little subtleties also really contribute to I think comparing the storytelling in the movie world um, and I think it's a great homage in many ways. Um, I also really like as you said the endearing interactions between Roy and Alexandria. There's one instance where they're like on the bed and Roy asks her to touch his toe. Then there's also a nice, very genuine, very real interaction in which it's almost a language barrier that's causing some confusion and how she's responding to his questions. And it seems so improvised um, and really authentic. I love that aspect too. I agree with you. Did you have any favorite visuals or locations that you can recall? Yeah, some of my favorite. Well, I just I love the the scene with the underwater scene with the elephant swimming. I thought that was beautiful. Just to see such a big animal floating so easily in water was kind of cool. Um, one of my other favorite scenes was the blue city scene, which I was watching a few like behind the scenes uh, interviews, and something I found fascinating was. Apparently, this is a Hindu city in India, and they're only allowed to color their the walls of their houses blue. 
And so for a whole, I believe, month or so before filming, they went to this town and were like, anyone who wants to paint their house, we're going to give you free paint. And everyone was obviously only allowed to have blue paint. I thought it was fascinating and really pretty to watch. Yeah, I really loved the use of framing in this movie. There was this one scene that just looked like a photograph. And it's in like the story that he's saying. It's between Roy and the female character. And they're in this like beautiful building. And it like pans out. And they're, they're just between this doorway. And it's the two characters. It's gorgeous. And you see framing all throughout the film. Especially like in the hospital as well. With Alexandria's like kind of walking through the halls. How they capture her like between windows or doors. And I just thought that was really uh, well shot. And it created an imaginary landscape and it made you see like you were like really looking into these characters whether that's in secret seeing them do things that nobody else should be seeing them do but i liked how the director allowed us to have that feel as well you know when she's going to steal the morphine how it also felt like that for the audience that we weren't supposed to be seeing her do this yeah that's actually a great point and i think that's some of the genius of the cinematography overall um Another example, actually tying together the the bed that I mentioned uh, with the cinematography, is they actually filmed a lot of it in a hospital bed with the curtains closed and the camera just stayed there. And so getting the, those kind of shots too really in close and then at the same time making it so artful beyond that is quite impressive. Yeah, there was a few other interesting um, shots. Uh, I really love the Balinese monkey chants. And that's appeared in another, I think it was Baraka, which is a more of an art film, non-narrative, just scenery and different cultural aspects from around the world. And they used that there. That was the first time I saw it, but it was really cool to see it in this movie when I finally saw this one as well. Um, but other things like the Sufi whirling dervishes, I don't remember the name of it, but there's the that desert in Namibia where the white sound in front of the dunes. Those kind of things just make for really great cinematographic moments. But at the same time, they were often landmarks that are slightly off the beaten path. They're not the ones that you normally see in tourist photos, but they're definitely destinations as well. What did you feel about the characters and the character development overall? I loved, like I was saying before, the relationship between Roy and Alexandria. There was something very innocent about it. And... Considering that Roy kind of has like, you know, this darkness in within him and he doesn't have this like will to live anymore. I love how her innocence and like her childlike demeanor brings like this light to him. And through the process of storytelling, he's able to find that will to live again through her. And so I loved the aspect of I think growing up, we all tend to lose that childlike innocence that we have and this view of seeing the world as this beautiful fantasy, something that's magical, some, like a landscape that we can play within. We tend to lose that as we grow older. And you see that in Roy's character. But the, the addition of Alexandria in his life brings him back to those roots and makes him realize why he started doing what he was doing in the first place. And I also love the theme that was kind of discussed towards the end of the movie between the artist and the audience and how much the author or the artist owes to the audience. They have like this dialogue where she goes, I don't want them to. And he goes, but it's my story. Um, and I love that. I loved how they discuss that relationship because something that I think about a lot as well, like how much the author kind of owes the audience. Something I really appreciated about this film was um, 
even within the cinematography, it, it definitely didn't just rely on that. I think the story was very, very rich. Um, I appreciated a lot of the physical manifestations of symbols that kind of helped us go on this journey of characterization, like Alexandria's relationship with a nurse and how that changes when she finds out she's um, having relationships with another man and how that almost solidifies and deepens our understanding of her relationship with um, with Roy uh, and how that presents itself again through the story, which is the main metaphor. Also then within his room right across from Roy is this man who who has nothing wrong with him, but he's still being medicated. And that's almost a symbol of Roy thinking or learning by the end of it that what he thinks is wrong with him isn't what's wrong with him. Something else I, I think I really just appreciated was like the symbol of the fall. As you get closer to the end, there's just the fall keeps coming and coming and coming. I guess it's incited by the fall of Alexandria again. It's such a it's such a simple but strong thing to have in a film is like a fall. Because um, a fall can mean so much. It can mean, oh, you tripped, but it can also mean something more serious, which it does for these characters. I was going to go on to talk about uh, the self-loathing and self-pitying nature of Roy and how men are so fragile at the best of times and even more so at the worst of times. But uh, I'd like what you said a lot more. Any other things you thought of that you'd like to mention regarding this film, regarding cinematography in general? I think one of this is again a little behind the scenes. I think something that was really fascinating to me was that again, there was this idea of film being a very powerful mode of storytelling and um, just the director's passion for film. I believe he said in an interview he had this concept for over 10 years and it took over four years to film all of it even watching how into it he was in every behind the scene, uh, scene clip you can find was really inspiring to watch. I mentioned this before, but it kind of just stayed in my mind after I had finished watching the film was that theme between the author and the audience, especially it's shown at the end really well when they're watching the movie and you see this stunt happen. You kind of have this like realization on Roy's face where he sees that there's so much left out of what you actually end up seeing. And for me, I, I would like to consider myself some sort of active viewer. And when I'm really invested in a show or a movie, I feel very attached to the characters. So if I feel like, you know, something happens where I'm like, if the character wouldn't do this or why did this happen? I, I feel so attached and involved that I forget that, you know, this is a story that has been created by someone else. And there's so much more that goes on behind the scenes than what we end up seeing. So I really, really love that they touched on that because I think, I feel like that that's a question that people have been asking for such a long time. Like, what does the author owe to the audience, especially when it becomes something that's become so personal for the audience. But again, it's so much more personal for the author and there's so much more that's going on with them when they're making a piece of art. And I liked how they showed that. I also really love when a storyteller can mess with the audience a bit and play with their expectations. A good, <laughs> I always bring it back to this. I'm sorry for anyone who's listening and it's tired of me rambling about this genre, but it'll going back to horror, a good horror movie will also do that. <laughs> and I can list a bunch that I think do it really effectively and really frustratingly. A lot of times, life brings you things that you're not expecting. So it feels realistic as much as it feels uh, oftentimes a cheap diversion 
in this movie, I think those little diversions really are successful as well. And as much as we're an active viewer, the storyteller is Roy, but it's also Alexandria, and she's affecting the narrative just as much as the surroundings of Roy and his his actions and his choices are. And I love the also the the notion of really taking your time and doing it at the right moment for, as you said, Tarsem Singh's tenure dream project. Oftentimes those little self-indulgent works can turn out to be the best for the master filmmakers and storytellers too. So thanks for that comment too, Abe. Uh So I also had requested that everyone joining this conversation also present one more film that they think is uh, really cinematographic and um, and shot very beautifully or scenically. So I'm curious to hear what you have chosen for this. Abe, do you want to start? One of the things that I this film really reminded me of was um, the Squid Game. It, it wasn't really, I think, story. I think it was every time there was this new set or any time the story started or he started narrating the story, one of the things I was really excited to see was where are they? Where are they going? which was kind of the sim- a similar feeling I had watching the Squid Game. Anytime there'd be a new challenge, it'd be like, okay, where are we going to go now? For me, I think the story of the movie itself really reminded me of everything, everywhere, all at once, because kind of has that same juxtaposition of, you know, I was telling the story through this like very fantastical and grand and stylized way, like this, it, the way he tells the story. But then at the core of it is a very intimate sort of relationship, you know, between a mother and daughter and between Roy and Alexandria's character. And I really love how that occurs in both of these films because, you know, it gives us um, a chance to be entertained, but it also gives us a chance to really think about human connection in a very sort of intimate and vulnerable way. Uh, in which both characters are going through their own journey, but they come together and able to like learn a lot through each other. And I think that was captured in the cinematography of both of those films um, and framing as well. Uh, in everything all at once, they use the circle as a metaphor. And in this movie, the framing is, again, like I was talking about before, allows us to have insight into these characters and their lives, which otherwise we wouldn't get. Mm, the one that some of these wide, wide-angle shots of really big epic scenes because it's also one of my favorite genres is horror. I have to go with the art film that's disguised as a horror movie, which is the 2002 film 28 Days Later by Danny Boyle, who is famous for like Train Spotting and Slumdog Millionaire and uh, 127 Hours and quite a few others. That film also stars Cillian Murphy when he was, I think, one of his first roles. It's a zombie film, but it also has these really big, big shots. One of the opening scenes has Silly Murphy's character, Jim, wandering through the streets of London, and it's all empty and desolate. And to imagine a, a metropolis, I guess we have reference now of a metropolis being completely empty as the pandemic gave us the opportunity. <laughs> this story is similarly feels very relevant today as a result of that, as it also talks about the human condition arising from these conditions and these circumstances, just as we've seen throughout the pandemic as well. Uh, Some of the other shots that really stood out were as they're traveling to find a radio signal, there's some fantastic moments of just the car traveling down the road 
And at one point when they finally reach, I believe, Manchester, the entire city in the distance is completely on fire and smoke everywhere. Everything's burning. And it's such a, a huge shot of this little vehicle traveling down the road and this giant disaster in front of them. Again, I think as scary as that movie might be for some, I think it's as beautiful as um, many others that are not in the horror genre. So highly recommend that one. I will officially end the conversation here. For anyone interested in watching The Fall, you can rent a digital copy and stream it from the Cineplex store online. But that appears to be the only place it's available for streaming at the moment, other than finding a physical copy somewhere. I'd like to thank Hanya for being here and Abe also for your opinions on this film. There's two others. Uh, I'll mention them. Sally, who unfortunately couldn't be here today, and Bashir, who also was unable to make it. But uh, I know they watched the movies and they had comments and unfortunately couldn't get them down. But we shall hear from them in the future. Stay tuned for more on Movie Mixtape. again to our panelists. This episode of Movie Mixtape contains contributions from Alicia, Quentin, Malachi, Sean, Ave, and Hanya. If you want to get involved with Movie Mixtape, contact volunteer at cjru.ca. Again, that's volunteer at cjru.ca. This has been Movie Mixtape on CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto, and I'm your host, Karen, signing off.